Well, I hope everyone's doing okay this morning. Don't hear anything from me. I guess you're not doing okay. But if you uh, have your Bibles with you, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. And we're going to continue to work our way through the Lord's Prayer. That's what we've been talking about. And we're going to continue our discussion of that today. Beginning in verse 9 of chapter 6. This is Jesus speaking. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is God's holy word to you. Now, no one here wants to be set up to fail. Do you? Do you know what it feels like to be set up to fail? Someone trying to help you, but really not trying to help you because they want to see you fail? I think a lot of us enter into our relationship with Christ like that, set up to fail. But what do you mean, Alex? What do you mean by that? See, we have a tendency to share Jesus with others in such a way that we set them up to fail once they receive him. When you become a Christian, some of you believe now your life is going to be easier. Now all my problems are done with. No more struggles. Then there's another side of you who think, who live in constant despair. Life is just always hard. I, this is what it means to be a Christian. I got to be in despair constantly. Both of those are set up to failure. To be a Christian, well, it's complicated sometimes. You see, the mindset of an easy Christian life or the mindset of, of a despairing Christian life, they both point to an internal battle in your heart and soul. It's a tension. It's a battle going on inside of us. And so some of you, you, you daily doubt your salvation constantly because of the sins you constantly battle. When you look in the mirror, all you see is how far off you are. And so you doubt. The enemy helps you doubt too. You're not a saved. You're not a believer. How can you be a believer and still do some of the things you do and think some of the things that you think and say some of the things that you say? Does that ring home with anyone? Then, there's others. You don't ever doubt your salvation. Ever. Ever. You are, you don't, you're not even convicted of your sin. Because Christian life is supposed to be easy. It's supposed to be easy. And so, you don't feel the weight of your sin. You don't ever feel it. You see your sin... It's just, they're just small ladybug sins. That's all they are. They're just ladybug sins. They're small. And they don't really matter. But they do matter. See, these two battles, what do you do with them? If my life is supposed to be already easy, if my life is supposed to be no struggles, or 
is a Christian life supposed to be one of this constant despair? What do you do with that? How do you reconcile that? You see, in a legal proceeding, if you're called to, to, to court to be a witness of a crime, you get up to the understand, sometimes you put your hand on a good book, but if you say something that may incriminate yourself, you don't have to say that. What can you do on the oath? I plead the fifth. I plead the fifth. Why? Because I don't want to self-incriminate myself. Now, as believers, we plead the fifth as well. We don't plead the fifth amendment. We plead the fifth petition of the Lord's Prayer. And what is that? Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. That's the fifth petition of the Lord's Prayer. And that's what we plead. You see, there's no need for due process because even as a believer, you're still going to battle sin. We plead a fifth petition because of that battle. When we self-incriminate, God's mercy exonerates us. You see what I'm saying? His mercy frees us when we go to him and say, Lord, forgive me of my debts. It's a plea for God's mercy. That's what it is. The mercy of God. Not in the mercy of our courts, but the mercy of God is freely given that you don't even have to work for. That's what we're going to talk about today. That mercy, that forgiveness. Pray with me. Father God, I pray that as we continue our discussion of the Lord's Prayer, that your spirit will be taking what is preached and applying it to our hearts. And as I've said before, and as I will continue to pray, I can't change hearts. Preaching doesn't change hearts. It's the Spirit does. The Spirit is the one who makes preaching what it is. And I pray, Spirit, that you will come and preach to my heart and preach to everyone's hearts and draw our hearts closer to God. I pray that you would do that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now let me make one thing clear as far as this prayer here. This is not a prayer of salvation. This is not a prayer of, of, of a salvation, but it's a prayer of being restored to fellowship with God when my sin hinders me from it, when my sin still creeps up into my life. That's what it's a prayer of. It's a prayer for mercy. And see, what the dilemma that we're in is that if I'm already forgiven, why must I continue to plead the fifth petition if Christ has already forgiven me? Why must I still have to repent? See, Paul says in Romans 6 that, that those who have a personal relationship with Jesus, you are no longer enslaved to sin. You're no longer under its power, its dominion. He says in Colossians 2 that you were dead in your trespasses and sin because of your sinful nature. But God made you alive in Christ. For he forgave all of our sins. He counseled the record of the dead against us, taking it away by nailing it to the cross. Nailing it to the cross. Our sin, our debt, everything we ever done, nailed to the cross. Some of you have debt, credit card debt, car payments, you know, title loans. We all have debt, rent to own companies. And every month, we make a minimum payment until the debt is paid off. Right? Right? 
If you have debt, this is what you do. You take out the checkbook and you write a check every month until the debt is paid off. See, our debt toward God can never be paid off by your minimum monthly payments. Like going to church, going to Sunday school, getting a little religion. None of those things can pay off your debt before God. Volunteering down at the food bank does not pay off your debt toward God. Who pays off your debt? Jesus pays off your debt by giving up his life and nailing your sin to the cross. So it's true. All of your sins, past, present, and future, have been nailed to the cross. It's no longer your master. You have victory over its power. But your flesh still remains. You still battle it. And when you plead a fifth petition to God, this is what you are admitting to God. God, I know I'm forgiven in Christ, but man, I still battle my flesh. I still have sin in my life. Have mercy on me, on my soul. And what's the tension here? Paul felt this tension. If you ever read Romans 7, you know the tension that Paul felt. He says, Now if I do what I do not want to do, I agree with the law, that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Sin is debt now to God. That's what it is. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. How many of you ever felt that way? How many of you ever felt that way? Am I just talking to the chair? Okay. Every day. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want to do, I keep on doing Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find this to be a law, that when I want to do right, evil is right there with me. This is Paul, a believer, a Christian, writer of most of the New Testament, saying, I still have sin in my life. Now, for some of us to say we don't, That's a sin. That's pride. That's self-righteousness. When you want to do good, evil is always there with you. Whatever you try to do. That's the tension that we're in as believers. That's the battle that we're in. And many of you know what Paul is talking about here. You sense the whatever you're seeing. You feel it. When you look in the mirror, you see it. Your anger, your unbelief, the addictions you may have, your lusts, your sinful pleasures and passions. You see it. You feel the weight of it. And you beat yourself up sometimes. You see, it's like a habit you just can't shake. If I can only just get this one thing under control, then I'll be the Christian God wants me to be. This one little thing, God. You beat yourself up all the time. You have no hope. You feel shame, fear, despair. No escape. But there is escape. Paul goes on to say in Romans 7, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of sin and death? Who will deliver him? Thank God for Jesus Christ. 
For there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. For the law of the spirit of life has set me free in Jesus from the law of sin and death. And so if you are in despair as a believer over your sin, beating yourself up, doubting your salvation, know there is no condemnation for you in Christ. There is conviction, but there is no condemnation. For Christ, through his spirit, has set you free from the law of sin and death. You don't have to carry it. Accept the forgiveness. Live in forgiveness. The Spirit convicts you so that you can plead the fifth petition. That's why He convicts you. The fifth petition is repentance. And repentance is keeping short accounts with God. That's what it is. Keeping short accounts with God. I need to keep short accounts with my, with my wife. I need to keep short accounts with Jesus in my relationship with Him. When I sin, Lord, this is what I've done. Have mercy on me. Because we all mess up. We all tell lies. We all do things we shouldn't do. But realize when we go to Jesus, this is not like going to the court. We're going to him because he's already paid the price for us. And I've said this before. Repentance is taking the monkey off your back. It's for your benefit. Either you are carried away of your sin all your life or you repent of it to get it off of you. Jesus is saying, don't live there. Rest. Rest in me. Accept the forgiveness that I've given you. You can rest in the sweetness of his mercy or rest in the bitterness of your sin. Which one are you going to do? Repentance is for your benefit. It helps you. The kindness of God should always lead us to repentance. So how often do you repent? How often do you repent of your sins? It should be daily repentance. Daily repentance. Because we all fall short of his glory. All the time. All the time. Back in my days in Valdosta, Georgia, by you know, which is the hottest place on earth if you ever live there. <laughs> I mean it's hot. You know, I had a friend, you know, we used to get into these religious conversations all the time. And he's a strange dude, but but I love talking with him because he had these weird ideas. And so one day he wanted me to take him to Walmart. So I said, okay, let's go. We'll go to Walmart. He wanted to get some things. So we got into this, this discussion about sin. And he said something that I have never forgotten to this day. He said, Alex, you know, I, I have never committed a willful sin, ever. I was like, excuse me? I have never committed a willful sin. And I was standing in the middle of Walmart like I've never heard him say that before. I was like, am I, is this guy really that holy? Is he really that good? Or is he just deceived? So deceived, he don't even see his own sin. Which one is it? Have you ever committed a willful sin? <laughs> you have. All of us have. It doesn't matter if you are a non-believer or a young believer or if you've been a believer for 10 plus years. You still battle sin. You need to learn to repent more. And I'll, next, I, was, I saw an interview of a famous pastor. I'm not going to tell, tell you his name. And he was asked by this guy, is it hard to lead a Christian life? He responded with, I don't think it's that hard. It's fun. 
You know, I have joy, happiness, my family. I don't feel like it's that hard at all. I'm not trying to follow a set of rules and stuff. I'm just living my life. See, others of you, you don't struggle with condemnation at all. It's not a, you, you, you don't have any conviction. That's your problem. It's easy. It's easy. I'm just living my life. I'm not trying to follow certain rules and stuff. I'm just living my life. Only someone who has a small view of that sin can say that. Only someone who has a small view of that sin can say the Christian life is really easy. You see, there, there's a movement in our in our in the church culture right now that's, that has abandoned the preaching of sin. Because they don't want people to feel bad about themselves. They don't, you don't, we don't want to beat people up. See, preaching on sin is, is not a negative. It's positive. Because you can't think positive about yourself if you don't know who you truly are. If you have an incomplete picture of what's inside of you. You see, you talk about sin because it lets you be honest about the fact you want people to be convicted of their sin. That's why we preach about it. And churches are filled with members who have and who who are having an affair and never convicted by it. We live under the illusion that everyone in our churches feel bad about their sin, and they don't. <laughs> That's why you have to understand our sin. Not everyone feels guilty about sin. Not everyone comes to church has a relationship with Jesus. <coughs> there are friends you have in your life you've known for years, and then you find out later on they got a secret life you never knew about. There could be an elder in your church, a deacon in your church. But one thing we know, your sin will find you out. That's why we preach on it. Because not everyone feels guilty. Not everyone feels convicted. And when I'm talking about it this way, I'm talking to the person who feels so good about themselves. I got all these people fooled. I'm just going through the motions, baby. Church is just a social thing. I'm not here for eternal reasons. I'm not here to be in a relationship with Jesus, but that's why you should be here. That's why you should be here. I don't want you to be self-deceived. How big is your sin in your life? How do you view your sin? Jesus tells, Jesus in John Luke 7, Jesus goes to uh, Simon, the Pharisee's house. The Pharisee invites Jesus into his home to eat dinner with him. And while they were reclining at the table, a simple woman of the city came, a call girl, a working girl, came and sat behind the feet of Jesus. She began to cry with her tears. She would wipe Jesus' feet with her tears. She kissed his feet, anointed his feet with oil. Simon the Pharisee said, if this man was a prophet, he would have known what sort of woman this is who is touching him. For she is a sinner. And Jesus in his usual form, tells the Pharisee a parable. He says, a certain moneylender has two debtors. One owed him 500 pieces of silver, and one owed him 50, 50 pieces. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which one of them will love him more? Which one? Bigger debt. The one who had the bigger debt. Jesus told Simon, you have judged rightly. Turn to the woman, he said, 
Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has been ceasing to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my hair with oil, but she has anointed my feet with oil. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. He who is forgiven of little loves little. You see why we preach sin? If you only have little sin, you're going to have little love for Jesus because you have little need of Jesus. You see that? If you only begin with forgiven of little things, you're going to love him little. If you have a small view of your sin, you're going to have a small view of God. That's why we preach on it. That's why we talk about it. A growing awareness of your sin is a good thing because it pushes you more to Christ. shows you your need of Christ. I'm not saying this to beat you up. I'm saying this because it impacts your view of Jesus. That's why. I want you to have a big view of God. And, and what I've learned is growing as a believer, as I grow in Christ, as I grow in my faith, I see more sin in my life. I don't know if you feel that way. I can get, God can give me victory with this sin, and then later on I start seeing stuff over here that I didn't see before. Like, I'm, I'm coming in and out of battles with my sin. And that's it. We do that. Because when we think we got something under control, God says, hey, Alex, 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 what about this? Oh, well, I, well, I didn't see that. That's the walk. That's the battle. And I think we, because we live in the, in the Bible Belt, and I, this is one of the reasons a lot of people have a small view of sin, because they think of sin as just the external things I do. It's just my actions. You know, like adultery or murder or being a drug dealer or a thief and so on and so on. It's just those things. But Jesus says something totally different in the, in the Gospels. In Matthew 12, he says, For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speak. In Matthew 15, he says, But what comes out of the mouth of man proceeds from the heart. This defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. And I'll add pride, self-righteousness, covetousness, jealousy, envy, gossip, and lust. All come from here in my heart. Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can understand it? God can. And Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with careful watch for possible. Sorry, keep your heart with careful watch for possible dangers, for from it flows the springs of life. I offer my heart, and so if the, if the world spring of life flows from my heart, but Jesus is also saying out of my heart comes all these different things. When you put the two together, you realize your problem with sin is always a heart problem, not an action problem. We do the things we do because it comes from here. And when the Bible talks about the heart, it's talking about my mind, my affections, my will, my conscience. All those things are stained by sin. All four of them. You see, it's easy to modify behavior. It is. I can pretend to be a good pastor. I can pretend to be a nice guy. 
I can deceive you, and you can deceive me. We do it all the time. But I can never deceive God because he knows this. He knows my heart. He cannot modify your heart. None of us can. He can never deceive God. God knows me. He sees me. He knows what I'm battling. He knows where I'm hiding. He knows what you're hiding. He knows the things we don't want other people to know about us. The things we keep tucked away in the closet. You can hide them from us, but God knows. Because he knows your heart. And here's the thing. He reveals them to heal you, not to hurt you. Even though they hurt when he reveals it. But he does it. He brings it to the surface to heal you. That's why he does it. Not to hurt you. And so, God, through the working of his spirit, changes our heart. If you ever read Ezekiel 32, it says, I will give you a new heart. Man, that's gospel there. I give you a new heart. I will give a new, I'll put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to follow my word. That's gospel. When you receive Jesus, when you repent of your sins and receive him, he, God gives you a new heart. He put his spirit within you and he gives you the desire to follow him. That the desire that you didn't have before. You see how good he is? You see how powerful he is? That when I was an enemy, I hated God, I cursed God, God said, I'm going to love you, I'm going to change you, I'm going to make you love me, I'm going to give you a heart so you want to love me. That's what I'm talking about. That's the gospel. That's truth. You are a new creation in Christ. The old has gone, the new has come. That's who you are. When God sees you, he sees Christ's blood over you. Do you want forgiveness? If you don't know Jesus this morning, do you want forgiveness for everything you've ever done in your life? Then it's available through the gospel, through the cross. He'll forgive you. He will cancel all your debt. And when you stand before God, you are debt free in Jesus. Nothing else can do that. Nothing else can save you. That's the gospel. And it's sweet. But we still battle sin. And what you have to learn here is that when you become a believer, you are a new creation. But the old man is still there that you battle. And now when you, become, when you become a Christian, you are able to fight your sin now, which you couldn't do before, because God's Spirit lives in you. Because God's Spirit lives. He gives you the ability to say no to sin. And when I say, your sin, your flesh hates you, I say, hate it back. Be a hater. Hate your sin. Because it hates you. Hate it back. Hate it back. Don't love it. Don't play with it. Don't make a truce with it. Don't make a truce with your sin. Hate it. God's changing of our heart. It happens throughout your lifetime. 
It's not overnight. It's a process, as Nick Saban says. Y'all know what that word means if you're an Alabama fan. It's a process. And Nick Saban is right. Being changed into the image of Christ is a process, people. It's a process. So I give Nick Saban some credit there. It's a process. And so he continues to reveal sin in our hearts so that we can repent more. That's the thing. He reveals it so you can repent, so you can plead the fifth petition. And so if I'm a believer, I can stop pretending like I have no issues. And just admit that I do. If I'm a believer, I can, I can stop living in despair and ask the Holy Spirit to help me to live in that mercy. I don't have to live in despair. Jesus doesn't want you to live in despair. In despair. He wants you to be broken of your sin, but not in despair of it. He wants you to receive and rest in that grace and that mercy. And repentance, as I said before, it takes the monkey off your back, but it also helps us not to make a peace treaty with our sin, which we are <laughs> always tempted to do. Just accept the way I am. That's just me. I'm just, I'm just going to deal with that forever. So I just make a peace treaty. That's just who I am. But repentance reminds us. Repent of it, man. God, forgive me of my debts. So repentance helps you fight your sin. Because sin is no longer your master, but it is now your enemy. And you have to see it as such. At first, it was my buddy before I knew Jesus. It was good company to be in. But Jesus set you free from that. And so now it's your enemy. The things you see in your flesh is your enemy. It's not your friend. It's not your friend. And so you have to fight against it. Sin is a bully. The spirit is your big brother. So bring him with you when you go to battle. God's word. Bring him with you when you go to battle. Because I've said this before. Either you fight the sin in your life, or it will kick you around like a red-headed stepchild. I want you to fight it. It's a gift to you. If you ever read um, the, book, the, uh, the book Moby Dick, or if you've seen the, read, seen the movie Moby Dick, you realize Captain Ahab, he, he chased this great whale across the sea. The great whale, he was possessed with capturing this great whale. And in the, end of the, in the last part of the book, he, he mouthed these words to the whale. He said, Towards thee I roll, thou all destroying but unconquering whale. To the last I grapple with thee. From hell's heart I stab at thee. For hate's sake I spit my last breath at thee. I'm reading a book called The Enemy Within. And the author takes a unique twist on that quote. And he says, because of God's spirit in us as believers, we can, we can say these same words to our sin and flesh. He said, we can look at our sin and our flesh and we can say, Towards thee I roll, thou all destroying, but unconquering flesh. To the last I grapple with thee. From heaven's heart I stab at thee. And for love's sake I spit my last breath at thee. You see what I'm saying? That's what you can say now in Christ. Spit your last breath at your sin. Spit it. By living out the fifth petition. Praying the fifth petition. Praying it. Daily. Daily. Let us pray. Father God, thank you that because of the Spirit, I can spit at my sin. I can hate my sin. And I pray that I will hate it more than I do.
And I'll rest more in the mercy of Christ more than I do. And so I pray, Lord, for everyone that, that wherever they are this morning, whether they're down in the salvation or if they think they have no sin or small sin, I pray the Spirit you would meet them where they are and show them what they need. That we both, they both need Jesus to rest in the mercy of Jesus for them. And so I thank you. I praise you for all this in Christ's name. Amen.